All right, hopefully you got one of these when you came in this morning. You don't usually come to church and start out with a quiz. This is going to be fun. I'm going to read to you six stories. After each one, you're going to get to determine whether it's true or false. Some of them will be true stories. Some of them will be false. And I'm just dying to see how well you do. All right? So take out your handout. Get ready to circle after I tell you the story. Story number one. Did lightning strike an evangelist during his sermon? Let me read to you the story. A guest evangelist at First Baptist Church in Forest was preaching about penance and asking for a sign on Tuesday night when the church's steeple was hit by lightning, setting the church on fire and blowing out the sound system. At about 7.45 p.m., lightning hit the church's steeple, went through the electrical wiring and blew out the church's sound system. Lightning traveled through the microphone and enveloped the preacher, but he was not injured. On your little piece of paper, circle, true or false. Hmm. Story number two. Did scientists discover a lost day in the solar system? Mr. Harold Hill, president of the Curtis Engine Company in Baltimore, Maryland, and a consultant in the space program, relates the following development. I think one of those, the most amazing things that God has done for us today happened recently to our astronauts and space scientists at Greenbelt, Maryland. They were checking the position of the sun, moon, and planets out in space where they would be 100 and 1,000 years from now. We have to know this so we won't send a satellite up and have it bump into something later. They ran the computer measurements back and forth over the centuries, and it came to a halt. The computer stopped and put up a red signal. What's wrong? Well, they found there's a day missing in space, and time elapsed. They scratched their heads, tore their hair. There was no answer. Finally, a Christian man on the team said, you know, one time when I was in Sunday school, they talked about the sun standing still. While they didn't believe him, they didn't have an answer, so they said, show us in the Bible. So he got it, and he read the story of Joshua, and he quoted, Joshua asked the Lord to make the sun stand still. The sun stood still, and the moon stayed, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Did scientists find a missing day? True or false? Number three, Photoshop or real picture? Throw it up there. Is this Arnold Schwarzenegger's dog? <laughs> or is this a trick of photography or taxidermy? Real dog or false dog? If it's a real dog, put true. If it's photoshopped, put false. Don't worry, I'll be back. <laughs> Story number four. Man jumps out of an airplane two miles above Earth. His parachute does not properly open. Pulls the other one. That one gets tangled in the first. Plummets to Earth and lives. True or false? And I had to do the next one because it ties to that one. This guy falls out of an airplane. Does he live? Does he die? Number five. Man falls off a ladder in his house and dies. True or false? And number six, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose from the dead. It's a story you've heard, true or false. Story number one. Oh, by the time I'm done, I want to see if any of you got them all right. 
Story number one, did lightning strike an evangelist during the sermon, but he remained unhurt? This is true. This did happen. Verified by our friends at Snopes.com. Story number two, did scientists discover a lost day in the solar system that ties to Joshua's story of the sun standing still? False. That did not happen. That is an urban legend. Story number three, is this a real dog? Yes, it is. And no, it does not lift weights. It's got a genetic mutation. It's a bully whippet, and he's messed up. But darn, he looks good in a bathing suit. <laughs> and there's not a pit bull in town that'll mess with him. <laughs> Story number four. Guy falls two miles out of an airplane with a messed up parachute. Well, instead of telling you true or false, I got a video clip on this one. Let's take a look. At 5,000 feet over New Zealand's Lake Taupo, Michael Holmes was plummeting to earth at 70 miles an hour. He pulled the cord for his main parachute at 4,000 feet, but it didn't fully open, even though it caught enough air to violently spin him around. It was all caught on tape by two helmet cameras, his and the helmet camera of fellow skydiver Jonathan King. Seconds later, Michael pulled the cutaway cable to free his main chute, but it was snared in his harness and wouldn't break away. 2,000 feet, he now faced a dire choice, release his reserve chute, which could tangle in the main chute and completely wipe out the little lift he had. Or ride it out with the main chute only, hoping it would fully inflate before he hit the ground. He had to make a decision in seconds. After 700 feet, he knew the reserve chute would make little difference. Michael checked his altimeter, 1,100 feet, 800 feet, 650 feet. He decided to release his reserve chute as he feared it snagged in the main chute and failed to open. Michael was now 15 seconds from impact. He waved goodbye to the camera at 530 feet and believed he would die. crashed into a thicket of blackberry bushes. His buddy, Jonathan King, swooped to his side. You breathing in? Yeah. You supposed to be, bro? Supposed to be, man. How was it? You okay? No. Not okay, but incredibly, Michael Holmes was alive. Okay. Isn't that something? Wow. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Let's do that again. One of my children told me the other day, falling out of an airplane doesn't kill anybody, even without a parachute. What? It's when they land. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, if I fell out of an airplane, I don't think it'd be the landing that killed me. I'd probably die of a heart attack on the way down. So that is a true story. Man falls off the ladder in his house and dies. True story. I'm telling you, people, you will only go when God says it's time. I don't care if they drop a nuclear bomb on your head. If it's not time, you're not going. And if it's your time, I don't care what you do, you'll go. God's in control, and he chooses when we go. Story number six. Well, the first five. How many of you got them all right? Wow! Woo! Good job! There's at least five hands that went up. I am stunned. 
I didn't think any hand would go up. I am very impressed. Some of you spend way too much time on the internet. <laughs> Question number six, did Jesus rise from the dead? We're going to talk a little bit about this one. Snopes is not good enough for me on that one. I want to give you a little bit of thought how I think these things through. But how do we know truth from fiction? I mean, a guy falling out of an airplane and lives, a dog that looks like, you know, it's bursting with muscles. How do you know what's really true and what's not? And people come up and they say, Jesus died and rose from the dead. You know, that doesn't happen every day. And it happened 2,000 years ago. How do we really know it happened? It's a fair question. Don't think, oh, I'm a bad person if I, if I, if I wonder. No. It's a fair question. You shouldn't believe it just because somebody says it's so. There should be some evidence behind it. And there is, and lots. I'm going to share some of that with you. Before I get into some of the logical stuff and historical, philosophical arguments and history, I want to tell you, for me, maybe not for you, but for me, the most compelling reason, the most compelling evidence that Jesus rose from the dead says so in the Bible. End of, t end of discussion, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, Steve, that's simplistic. You believe the Bible. Yes, I do. But see, I believe the Bible not because I grew up believing it. I didn't. I do now, though. I've investigated that book. I've researched that book. I've challenged that book. I've torn that book apart word by word and letter by letter. And I believe it more than anything else on this planet. Now, if it says something, I believe it. And I don't need anybody else to tell me it's so. That wasn't always the case. But it is now. In the Bible, not just in the Gospels, in the Old Testament, it says that when the Messiah comes, he will die for our sins and rise again. It was a prophecy. So either it happened or the book's false. Those are your two options. And obviously most of us aren't going to dare say the book's false. Then it happened. The prophecy said it would. In fact, one of them is so specific, it says he would rise from the dead, this is in the 16th Psalm, so quickly that his body wouldn't have time to decay. You know, it was three days. So it says he would rise, it didn't say how soon, but it said soon enough that his body wouldn't decay. So the Old Testament said the Messiah would come, die for people's sins, and rise again. The Gospel says Messiah came, Jesus, died for our sins, and rose again. Jesus said he was going to die and rise again. How do I know he rose from the dead? Because the Bible says so. For me, that's enough. But I understand why that may not be enough for everybody. So my first piece of advice is go examine the book. See if it's worthy, if it stands up under scrutiny. And I'm telling you, it does. There are experts in law and in the fields and sciences of evidences. Attorneys and judges. There was one from last a couple centuries ago. His name was Simon Greenleaf. Started a law school after him. He's quoted at all the universities. He was considered the foremost expert in legal evidences, probably for at least 100 years. He decided to look at the resurrection of Jesus as if it was brought into his courtroom. Examine it by just evidence. No preconceptions, no religion. Just if this was a case brought into my jury using the laws that we know for evidence, what would I conclude? He wrote a book on this called The Testimony of the Four Evangelists. I read it a while back, as well as a handful of other books that look at similar things. And here's what they all conclude. Jesus rose from the dead beyond any reasonable doubt. By the way, reasonable doubt, 
because you can have doubt that's not reasonable. You've heard this if you've watched TV or you've served on a jury. They'll ask you a question like, do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt? No, beyond reasonable doubt. I guess if it was just beyond doubt, nobody would ever be convinced of anything because you can doubt anything. You know, there's still people who don't believe astronauts landed on the moon. All the astronauts lied. The entire government lied. The media lied. The Russians who were racing with us lied. It's all a big cover-up. You can't really prove anything. How many of you believe seeing is believing? Let me see your hands. Come on, be brave. Yeah, a lot of us feel, hey, unless I see it. One of the disciples said, unless I see the holes in his hands, I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead. Now, how many of you have ever seen an optical illusion? Now, let me ask you again. How many of you believe seeing is believing? How many of you have ever seen something? And then sometime later, a month, a year, you said, you know, I couldn't have seen what I thought I saw. Let me see your hands. Yeah, seeing isn't believing. There's got to be better evidence than what we see. Talk to my wife. She saw the Easter Bunny up and down her hallway once when she was a little girl. She could swear. But now that she's all grown up, she knows it was like a dream or a hallucination or something. Bad dinner. <laughs> so experts in attorneys, uh, experts in law and evidences, attorneys, lawyers, judges, investigative reporters have researched, many of them as non-believers, the resurrection of Jesus. And when they finish, many of them come out as vocal believers. The evidence is strong. I want to talk to you about logic, deductive logic, specifically about doubt versus reasonable doubt. Okay? We're going to have some fun. You see this? I need my Vanna White. Now, this half of the church, play along with me, close your eyes. You guys keep your eyes open. Close your eyes. Okay, open your eyes. Anything look different? Okay, now, you saw that this looked like that. And then when you opened your eyes, it looked like that. Stay. Right? Something happened. But none of you saw what happened. But if I said... I picked up the flowers and put them on the table, just like you saw me do the second time. How many of you would believe that? Let me see your hands. Yeah, you didn't see it, but you used common sense. You used deduction. They were in. Now they're out. I'm the only one up here. Happened fast. No other reasonable explanation. Now, I could give you another explanation. There's a wire. It's an invisible wire. And it lifted up the flowers, moved over, and sat right there. That is an explanation. It's even a reasonable explanation. Not really, because you know there's no wire. You saw the thing fall over a few times, and you see no pulleys. Okay, I guess it could have happened. That's why we have doubt versus reasonable doubt. Oh, by the way, we have witnesses. So just in case you think it was magic or the wire pulley system, you guys over here, did I, if I picked up the flowers and put them down like I showed the second time, please raise your hands. You guys look over. Now, if any of you doubt that I did it, you're just stupid. <laughs> you're just stupid. Because you got a hundred witnesses, you got reasonable doubt, and I'm sorry, I just made an enemy, didn't I? 
See, the thing is, you can speculate about something that you didn't witness, but after using your powers of deduction and a whole bunch of witnesses, there's your answer. That's how we look at the Easter story. Power of deduction and lots of witnesses. So they subjected the story, to his, uh, to, uh, the story of Easter like they would any historical event. George Washington, the first president of the United States, I didn't see him at Valley Forge. I didn't see him cross the Potomac. I didn't see him chop down the cherry tree. I don't even know if the guy ever existed. Now do I? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Never saw it, never met it, but believe it. Well, the evidence that Jesus existed, died for our sins and rose from the dead is much more compelling than our scanty evidence for George Washington. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So if you can believe anything historically, the most attested to fact of ancient history is the gospel story. All right, a little bit about that. If it can be demonstrated that Jesus died, and if it can be demonstrated that people saw him after he died, then the middle part, that he rose from the dead, is a given. You following me? Nobody was there to see it. But there were people there to see him dead, and there were people to see him walking around and eating afterwards. Oh, and by the way, the Bible says he rose from the dead. First-hand account from the Bible. Let me read it to you. First, the part about him dying. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. Pilate, that was the Roman governor, had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they led him away to crucify him. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Then it says, they came to the Romans and said, Yeah, he's dead. And one of the Romans took a spear, stabbed him in the heart just to make sure. Yeah, he died. No question about it. There's nobody in history that challenges that this happened. No reasonable people. Even people that don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, even people that don't believe he rose from the dead will say, yes, there was a Jewish guy 2,000 years ago who the Romans crucified whose name is Jesus. So the fact that Jesus died, we can pretty much say, is a fact. And yet, there are people that challenge it. Why? because they will do anything to keep from the next conclusion that he was seen alive. So if they can say he never died, then they can say he was never rose from the dead. It's called the swoon theory. And they say, oh, he didn't die on the cross, he just swooned. He looked dead, and then the disciples nurtured him back to health. Let me read to you a response to that swoon theory. Letter to an advice column. Dear advice column, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross, and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. <laughs> Nail him to a cross. 
hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an earless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. <laughs> Sincerely, advice column. <laughs> Jesus died. And if he didn't die, where's his body? Right? Everybody said he rose from the dead. It would have been real easy to disprove. Here's his body. Tens of thousands of people knew exactly what he looked like. This would have been the easiest historical event to prove false. But they never did that. Why didn't they come up with just any old body and say, that, that's him? Because too many people knew him. And everybody would say, that's stupid. They never came up with a body. Now, I just find that in and of itself compelling. It's very easy. You know, I could tell you, I got 10 tons of gold. It's in my living room right now. All you have to do is come over and look at my living room, which most of you would do, especially if it was 10 tons. Maybe I'd share a little. You never know. Some things are just, you know, they're so easy to prove or disprove. This is one of them. And nobody has ever come up with his body. I've got another video clip I'd like to share with you. Let's take a look. Can we get the stage lights, please? The resurrection Thanks. of Jesus took everybody by surprise. The disciples weren't expecting it. They knew perfectly well if you followed somebody who you thought was the Messiah and he got killed, then that was it. We know of at least a dozen other messianic or prophetic movements within the hundred years either side of Jesus. They routinely ended with the death of the founder. Um, and if, they, if the movement wanted to continue, they didn't say, oh, he's been raised from the dead. They said, let's find his brother or his cousin or somebody who can carry on this movement. We can see how those Jewish groups did that. This one did it differently. They had James, the brother of Jesus, as this great leader in the early church. Nobody said James was the Messiah. They said Jesus was the Messiah. Why? He's dead. He, they, they got him. Didn't you realize they crucified him? No, he was raised from the dead. The only way you can explain why Christianity began and why it took the very precise shape it was is, let's say it cautiously, first, they really did believe he was bodily raised from the dead. And then if you take the second question and say, why would they believe that? You can go through all the theories that they found themselves forgiven, that they had a fresh sense of the presence of God, that this was cognitive dissonance, etc. And you bring all those theories to the actual facts that we know on the ground from the first century, they just don't fit. The only way you can explain the rise of the early Christian belief that Jesus was raised is that there really was an empty tomb, they really did meet Jesus alive again in a transformed body, and the thing makes sense. Of course, when I wrote a big book on this, my philosophy tutor from Oxford, who was an atheist, um, uh, read it, and he said, great book, you really make the argument, he said, I simply choose to believe that there must be some other explanation even though I don't know what it was. I said, fine, that's as far as I can take you. I can't bully you into saying, therefore, you must believe because to do that requires a change of worldview. But once you change the worldview and say, maybe there really is a creator God and maybe this creator God really is sorting out this sad old world at last, then everything else makes sense in a way that it doesn't with any other possibility. So he wrote this amazing book. If I'm not mistaken, that was one of the books I read some years ago. Uh, showed it to a philosophy professor, said, you make the case. You've made your point, but I'm not going to believe it anyway. The evidence is in, but I'm still not going to believe it. Now, before you get too upset with that philosophy teacher, people do that all the time. 
all the time. And they do the opposite, too. We do the opposite, too. For example, I don't want to offend anybody, but the point here is to instruct. And if you're on a collision course towards disaster, even if I offend you a little to get you to get off that course, it might be worth it. Um, I know people, who, people I love who say things like this. Oh, I don't need to believe in Jesus. There is no hell. I'll be fine when I die. Okay, great. What do you base that on? On nothing. They just want to believe that. Well, I want to believe there's a chocolate fairy, but there's not. <laughs> I can believe it, but that isn't going to change reality. Well, I just don't believe in hell. Okay, but based on what? Nothing. It's based on nothing. And yet, there's the most famous man who's ever lived that billions of people say is the Son of God who wrote a book that's been out for thousands of years, the bestseller always and everywhere, that says there is a hell. Maybe you should reconsider your position. Just saying. What if you're wrong? So we do it all the time. He was shown to be wrong. He says, I choose not to believe it. We just choose not to believe in Jesus or not to believe in heaven or hell just because we don't want it. It makes us uncomfortable. But that's frankly irrelevant. Let's get uncomfortable and examine the truth just a wee bit. So we know he died. Where's his body? Nobody's ever presented it. So where did it go? One option, he rose from the dead, like hundreds of witnesses, by the way, said he did. Just these witnesses were enough to convince us of the plant over here. There were hundreds of witnesses that said they saw Jesus alive and well. Jewish authorities would have produced it if they could have. The Roman authorities would have produced it if they could have. And why would the disciples want to start a whole new religion? They didn't get rich. They didn't get anything good out of it. And most of the disciples, by the way, you may not know this, but most of them died as martyrs. Now, why would they do that for a lie, for something they knew? See, people will die as martyrs all the time, but they die for something they actually believe is true. The disciples, they would have made this all up, said he rose from the dead when he didn't. Why would they die for that? That's stupid. So it doesn't make any sense, any of the other explanations. Of course, I didn't share with you the personal one either, and there could be a whole bunch of amens in this room people who've prayed to God and he's answered, who have felt him come into their lives, change their lives permanently. I was raised Jewish, and now I'm a pastor of a Christian church. I didn't do that for some make-believe guy. He's real. He rose from the dead. He's alive. Well, here's how the Bible puts it. The next day, which was a Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees met with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this liar was still alive, he said, I will be raised to life three days later. Give orders then for his tomb to be carefully guarded until the third day so that his disciples will not be able to go and steal his body and then tell the people that he was raised from death. This last lie would be even worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go and make the tomb as secure as you can. So they left and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and leaving the guard to watch it. This is so cool. They thought they were going to stop something from happening by setting up a guard there. But they just made the Easter story stronger. Because they believed they were going to steal his body, so they made sure that didn't happen. And yet, lo and behold, empty tomb, what happened? 
Let me read to you what happened. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they trembled and became like dead men. They fainted in fear of the presence of a holy angel. Some women had come by earlier, I mean later. The angel spoke to the women, you must not be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's been raised. Just as he said. Those words are very convicting. Why are you here looking for Jesus? He told you he wasn't going to be here. Even his believers, his followers, didn't believe him. They didn't, they didn't listen to him. They went to take care of his body. Why? They should have known he wasn't going to be there. So the angel kind of told them off. Don't be afraid. He's not here. Just like he said. Go quickly now. Tell his disciples. So they left the tomb in a hurry, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Peace be with you. They came up to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. While the women went on their way, some of the soldiers guarding the tomb went back to the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. So now they all became believers. Nope, that's not what happened. The chief priests met with the elders and made their plan. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole his body while you were asleep. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the truth is. People choose to believe what they want. These people had every reason to believe. They chose not to. I wasn't there. I have every reason not to believe. But I do believe, because I looked at the evidence. And I decided that I'm not going to let my prejudice decide me with God. I'm going to let God decide me for God. I'm going to seek for God. If I find him, I'm in. If I don't, I'm out. And I'd encourage you to do the exact same thing. So, if this didn't happen, where is his body? If this didn't happen, why were there literally hundreds of witnesses that said it did? If this didn't happen, why would the apostles die for a lie? If this didn't happen, why does the Bible say it did? Romans had historians. There was one that wrote about this. He's not mentioned in the Bible. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. His name was Flavius Josephus. He was raised in a Jewish family and became a Roman... Uh, part of the Flavian Roman family after one of the wars. He is the foremost historian of that century in that era. He wrote about this. Listen to what he said. You can look this up yourself. Just get Josephus Flavius's writings. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews and also many of the Greeks. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. The divine prophets having spoken these things and thousands of other wonderful things about him, and even now the race of Christians so named from him has not died out. 
You want evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? There's bucketfuls. He was executed by professionals before many witnesses. He was stabbed in the heart to confirm his death by many witnesses. He was buried before many witnesses and seen alive after by many witnesses. And the Bible says he rose from the dead. Let's put the evidences aside for a minute. Why would he do this? What was the point of it all? He died for our sins, the Bible says. Sin makes us worthy of death, the Bible says. But somebody can die in our place, take our punishment for the sin, and then we can get a pardon. What kind of love is that? How many people would do that for you? Imagine if you, yeah, you go down to Tucson, the mall, and you shoot five people, and they put you up on death row, and then somebody says, hey, I'll die for you. Who would do that? This is the kind of loving God we serve. People say, oh, I'd never serve a God that would send people to hell. How about this? I would never turn from a God that would send Jesus to the cross. A God that loves me that much is a God I want to serve. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, but maybe you don't even know what sin technically is. So let me briefly explain to you what sin is. Uh, and we all have it. Sin is when we do things God does not want us to do. Sin is when we don't do things God does want us to do. And sin, here's the, here's the big one, is our inability to change those two. You've been bitten by that. You've got the, sin, the soul cancer. The soul cancer is called sin. You all have it. Trust Dr. Steve, he knows. Okay, you've been diagnosed, you got it. And it will kill you dead and send you to hell. But there's a cure. Trust Dr. Jesus. He's the cure. How do I know we all got sin? Let me ask you a question. You've got to be honest, though. How many of you have ever done something wrong, even though you knew it was wrong and really didn't want to do it, and you still did wrong? Yeah, you got it. You've done been bit. You've got it. The Bible says we all got it. You can't let that into heaven. You take people who do bad into heaven, then you make heaven bad. So somehow we've got to be able to get into heaven but leave the sin part out. How do we do that? We can't, but Jesus can. That's why he allowed himself to be tortured. See, sin causes death. I bet you if Jesus didn't die for our sins, he never would have died. There was no way he could have died. He, he was sinless. But when he took the world's sins upon him, he died on the cross. Well, he got up again. How did he do that? That's the proof that his death worked for our sins because death could no longer hold him. It worked. That's why he rose from the dead. His resurrection proves his sacrifice worked. Jesus is giving us all an invitation, an opportunity to follow him. He wants to take you to heaven with him. That's why he did what he did. But he won't force you to follow him. It's entirely up to you. He loves you so much, and he just wants you to love him back. So here's what you need to do. If you want, acknowledge in prayer that you've sinned against God. Tell him you're sorry, and you will do the best you can to forsake sin and to follow Jesus. Tell him you believe he died for your sins and rose again, and you want to trust him and follow him.